anybody looking to start a business, really understand what your investors are going to be looking to get out of that business. And the more they put in, the more risk they have, the bigger the reward they're going to be looking for. And so making sure you've got something that scales and, and, and gives them that return on investment is really, really critical as an entrepreneur. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, sponsored by AWS Energy. Before I introduce this week's guest, as always, please leave me a review so I can read it on the air. It also helps other people find the show, so I appreciate it and thank you in advance. I'm sitting here this afternoon with Stanley Huey, Chief Technology Officer and Senior Vice President of Network and Engineering at Infrastructure Networks. How are you doing today, Stan? I'm doing great. How are you? Not too shabby. Not too shabby. Let's talk about how you got started in the oil and gas industry. Wow. So I've been in the telecommunication space since 1988. Oh, uh, yeah. Prior to, prior to that, I was in the Navy and got out of the Navy and went to work for an entrepreneur. In the late 80s, there was a lot of AT&T had recently been broken up. So there was a lot of deregulation taking place. So there was a lot of new entrepreneurial opportunities opening up. So I got in on the ground floor of a startup company in Los Angeles, California, and I worked through a series of startups with that with that same owner investor through the 90s and into the early 2000s and mm-hmm. started doing my own telecommunications consulting during the 2000s. And around 2008, 2009, I started getting interested in how to bring wireless, well, actually broadband internet access into rural markets. And that led to wireless because there's not a lot of infrastructure in place in rural markets. And that actually resulted in an introduction to a friend I had in Southern California that said, if you're looking at wireless communications, you ought to look at some of the oil and gas companies and some of the challenges they're facing. So that that led to an introduction to some folks at Chevron and the San Joaquin Valley. Mm-hmm. And I, I went out and toured some of their oil fields with them and and they were explaining to me some of the challenges they had. And I had no idea at the time that the oil and gas industry and a lot of critical infrastructure industries around the United States were, were so challenged for connectivity. So that, that got me started on this quest, I guess, to, to bring broadband, wireless connectivity, high availability connectivity into the oil patch. Gotcha. So what are some of the challenges that you've had to face bringing, bringing said? Well, I think a couple of challenges. One is there is no real infrastructure out there. And, and that's predominantly driven by the fact that prior to LTE wireless technology, there really wasn't a technology that you could build a network around that was scalable, that gave you the economies of scale to really build a business model around. So in 2010, I'd been following the emergence of that standard. So I mm-hmm. saw that as an opportunity to, to economically bring a technology out that would kind of leapfrog the state of the art and focused on that. So infrastructure, sustainable business model to serve the industry, oil and gas, were two big challenges. The other was 
the industry itself had gotten really used to serving itself. It had no other options. So there was a lot of in-house telecom groups that had gone out and, and they were taking whatever technology was available to them and deploying it. So when we first went out, we realized that that one of the challenges was going to be that there was a lot of different technology solutions that had been deployed. And a lot of those technology solutions were very focused on what we refer to as the use case. In other words, I need a voice service. So I put in walkie-talkie. I put in wireless walkie-talkies. I need connectivity to the wellhead for my SCADA system. So I put in a, a narrow band, which is a very low band wireless connection so I can get instrument information coming back. And that's evolved now into full broadband where oil and gas companies are, are looking to basically have the same type of connectivity in the field that they get back in the office. But in 2010, that was that was a long way off. Right, right. Yeah. So, I mean, let's let's talk about what Infrastructure Networks does. So what Infrastructure Networks does is is we set out to build that connectivity out into the oil field. And we started with the first thing you need to do that is a licensed radio frequency spectrum. If you're like a Verizon subscriber or T-Mobile or an AT&T, all of their cell phones, which are actually radios, need their own licensed frequencies to operate on. So I was able to go out and negotiate and secure some of those radio frequency licenses that we could build a network on. As it turns out, that was the same spectrum that T-Mobile ended up building most of their nationwide network on, with the exception of some of the areas we had licenses. So we took those licenses and we deployed an LTE network, and it was a data-only LTE network. And we deployed that and set that up. And then from that, we were able to start offering services to customers. And early on, we had the connectivity, but it took us several years to actually learn how to take that connectivity and integrate it with what our customers are doing. We started on the drilling side, offering services to them. And then we've pushed into the production side of the business, which is after the rig leaves and that oil well is or gas well is in production, the monitoring of, of that production on a go forward basis. So that in essence is what we've done. And, and we've spent the last 10 years understanding the solutions that the oil and gas industry needs for connectivity. We started with the connectivity and, and, and now we've focused a lot on those end-to-end solutions. And, and that's, where, that's where a lot of our work has been. Interesting, because you brought up T-Mobile. I actually asked Mark about that. Mark Slaughter, your CEO, about yeah. that. If that's where the kind of the whole model sort of came from was T-Mobile. I have T-Mobile, and that's why I know that. And I've been with them for, I think, 20 years now. So it's just interesting to see how two things kind of collide. Yes. And I, and I think, you know, the cell phone started as a way for, you know, people to talk to each other. And it really wasn't until 2007 when the iPhone came out that I think there was a a real awareness that it the network is really a data network, and that's what's going to really drive the growth into the future. And and that's where LTE it was it was a technology that was ready for deployment in 2010, and it was really driven by the iPhone in 2007, 2008, when a lot of these cellular networks started getting overloaded with data. And what I saw was there's normally an evolution where new investment in cellular technology 
goes into the cities, the densely populated areas. And then over time, it'll, it'll roll itself out into the rural markets last. And I thought, well, there might be an opportunity here to build a business by taking that state-of-the-art technology and leapfrogging that process. In other words, instead of starting with consumers, which drive a lot of demand, and it's a great market, what if you took that broadband technology directly into the industry and you built a network dedicated to them, but you use that state-of-the-art technology? And, and that was really the the basis of our business plan was, was to go out. So we didn't start as a voice network with cell phones. We started as having hardened radios that we could take out into the oil field and replace like wireline services or satellite services and offer that connectivity. And luckily for us, LTE was that first generation. It was a it was a pure data technology, data-driven technology that allowed us to put voice services as an application over that data pipe. So that's what we went to market with. So what were, what was the oil field using before y'all implemented this? It was using anything it could get its hands on, <laughs> short of smoke <laughs> signals, to be honest with you. There was a lot of VSAT type services. There were still wireline services where you'd actually run a telephone line out to the drilling rig. There was private radio connectivity. There was a technology that was popular there for a four or five year period called WiMAX that, that was deployed, but none of it was standardized. The equipment could be made by several different manufacturers. The reliability of the equipment was all over the board. One of the other big drawbacks that some of those earlier wireless systems had is that they were all on unlicensed spectrum, which is like when you use Wi-Fi in your house, that's on an unlicensed frequency. And that works great around your home because the frequency doesn't travel far. So when I'm next door to you, I've got, I can reuse the same frequency. But when you get out in a rural area, you really want to have a licensed frequency so that you can ensure your quality of service. So there was services out there. They were very cutting edge, and but they were they had a lot of shortcomings. And Infrastructure Networks was able to come in with, I wouldn't say a technology that covered every use case application, but it mm-hmm. sure it sure brought a lot of them to the table, and it gave something for these these companies to standardize on. And the beauty was for us, since it is a standards based technology. LTE had a huge ecosystem of devices. There's a lot of companies that would manufacture devices, a lot of expertise in the marketplace. So customers benefited not only from getting a reliable service, but they also could go buy the equipment off the shelf. They could get it from multiple manufacturers and they weren't locked into these proprietary radio communication systems that they had been in the past that were very, very expensive. And in some cases, radios that would cost three, four thousand dollars they could buy an LTE radio for three or $400. So it was, it was a big advantage to the market. Yeah. So, so what are some challenges you had to go through just building this business? I mean, because from what Mark told me, you're you're one of the, the co-founders. I am. The first thing was to go out and it was very capital intensive business, right? I've been in the telecom space for 30, 30 some years now. And usually you go into business and you're really reselling somebody else's network. And we didn't want to do that. We wanted to, to build a network from the ground up. So we had to go put the equipment on the cellular towers and, you know, build all the backhaul, put the microwave systems in, put fiber in. And, and so we had to go out and raise the capital to do that. And, and that was a challenge because 
we were we were asking you know millions and millions of dollars to build a network like this. So you had to have a sophisticated investor that understood both the telecommunications side of it, but also understood the need in the oil and gas industry because that was the only real market that was in the areas we were wanting to build. It wasn't right. a, wasn't a lot of fallbacks. So. That I think was the biggest challenge. Luckily, we had a couple of customers. There was a great need for for the services, so we had a couple of early customers that wanted to do pilots with us. Uh-huh. And then we had a great, great investment environment here in Houston. And I relocated from Southern California to Houston in 2010. And some early investors that really saw the potential, both understood telecom and understood the oil and gas industry. So. They gave us enough capital to build those first few sites. And then the other the other huge advantage we had is I was able to obtain options on the spectrum licenses. And spectrum licenses are like real estate. They have a lot of value. As a matter of fact, they just, just held a spectrum auction here in the United States that's wrapping up and it's already, you know, fetched like four billion dollars just in for some licenses. So wow. yeah. So having those as collateral on the balance sheet, having that option where investors knew if they came in, they could, you know, they part of that asset of the company would be that spectrum, gave them a lot of confidence in what we were doing. So we were able to use that and leverage that. But but I think that was probably one of the greatest challenges going out and, and raising the capital for that business plan. Yeah, I can see why. I mean, that's a that's a lot of money and a, you got to have some big brains, big brain, brain trust to pull that off. So if you had a piece of advice to give our audience, what would it be? Well, I think if it revolved around starting a business and building a business, I think it would be really understanding the capital requirements in your, your investors. and you know, when, when I started infrastructure networks, I knew it was going to be a very capital intensive business. And I've been in telecom for a long time, but I think really having alignment with your investors, if you're an entrepreneur and making sure that you're trying to achieve the same thing your investors are. And in my case, I knew going into this based upon the amount of capital we were raising, it had to be a very scalable business. It wasn't going to be Stan's Telecom, right? It was a small business that operated in a small little area and, and you know, would be like a family-owned business. So I think if I had to give a good piece of advice, anybody looking to start a business, really understand what your investors are going to be looking to get out of that business. And the more they put in, the more risk they have, the bigger the reward they're going to be looking for. And so making sure you've got something that scales and, and and gives them that return on investment is really, really critical as an entrepreneur. Fantastic. Fantastic. What book influenced you the most and why? In life. There's been several. I think my mother would probably come get me if I didn't say the Bible. But <laughs> beyond that, I think, I think when I was pretty young, I really enjoyed The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. And I think that book gave me kind of a perspective and probably filled some of my entrepreneurial zeal that I've had over the years. You know, more recently, I think it's been, there's been a lot of books out there that have talked statistically about the time we live in. And really, you know, it's easy to get caught up in the headlines day to day, maybe how bad things are. But if you really look statistically at the world we live in today, we really live in a, in a golden age. And I think keeping that in mind, especially if you're trying to build a business or you're trying to start something at it sometimes feels like it's the end of the world, especially this year, right? With everything yeah, no that's kidding. going on. But if you really look back and historically put things in perspective 
it's really amazing. Even if you look at COVID-19 versus, you know, the Spanish flu only a hundred years ago, it's a very bad thing. But when you put it in perspective, it's, we really are blessed the time we live in and the capabilities we have as a modern society to protect ourselves from things in the past that would have been truly devastating. So I think those type of books I've enjoyed, there, there's some reading lists out there that have been put out by Bill Gates and I think Elon Musk and some of those touch on those, but, but those I've, I found really to be beneficial and help keep focus on, on really the opportunities that are out there and not just the downside. Yeah. 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 Who knows what, what the rest of 2020 brings us, right? Yeah, I know. I, I knock on wood, right? <laughs> yeah. Two hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico right now. We're fine. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you say is your most used business tool? My most used business tool would have to be my email and, and of late, actually, Microsoft Teams. We've, we've kind of gone to a remote operation and I never would have thought it because we had Microsoft Teams out there and we did some video conferencing and stuff before. But since the middle of March, that has really become an amazing business tool for us. And I think right now for us to keep our business running and to keep it going, it's amazing how quickly we've fallen into that routine. You know, we have video calls where we may have five or six people and, you know, it took a while to work out some of the rules of etiquette going through yeah. that process. But now that we've done it, it's, it's really amazing. And, you know, at first, first month or two, I thought it was, oh man, I can't wait till we can get back into the office. But I really think this has lasted long enough that, that some of these habits are going to take hold. And, and I really think business will be different because of that. So right now, Microsoft Teams is probably the one tool that, that on a day-to-day basis, we, we've been using the most. Yeah, that goes for us as well. I love that record the meeting feature so we can go back and see what our action items are. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, exactly. So who would you say is your most respected competitor? Off the top of my head, I wouldn't say a specific company, but I've become acquainted with in, in Houston with with several business leaders that have Mark Slaughter being one of them that I, I think has you know, had great success in the marketplace. Also, some of our early angel investors have been great mentors and, so, and, and supporters of us, and all of them have, have had a past in the telecommunications business. They've run competitive communications companies. You know, Scott Chris would be one. Todd Benet would be another. Peter Shaper would be another. And all these gentlemen have given great advice, and, and they were all great competitors in their marketplace, and, and some of them continue to be. But I think the environment here in Houston of, of some of these knowledgeable people that have been willing to share their knowledge and experience has been has been great. And so I've looked to what they've done when they've built their businesses and the successes they've had is the type of companies I'd like to see infrastructure networks be. That's awesome. What's your most important lesson learned? My most important lesson learned. Two, one is don't live too close to a lake in Houston because I learned that <laughs> in Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> what part of town are you in? Which is what? What part of town are you in? I live in Kingwood, and I live right oh, across the street from Lake Houston. Lake, Lake Houston. Oh my! Yeah, yeah. that's where so I my first whole moved to Houston. Right now, because we got about twelve feet of water during Harvey. So that, oh that's gosh. the first thing I learned moving from California here. <laughs> but I, I think the other one is is if you start a business, you know make sure that you don't underestimate the capital required in the in the time it's going to be required to build your business and build your streams of revenue and that's i've been blessed with infrastructure networks that we've always had a great stable of venture investors that have come in and supported the business because they've seen the long vision of it 
But as we all know, this this market is very cyclical in oil and gas, and you have to have staying power. And Infrastructure Networks has done that, being in the market for a decade now. But I think that's the one lesson I've learned is make sure you're capitalized to support your vision and your dream for your business. Because if you're not, it's really hard to have influence over that business once you have to bring in, once you, know, once you give up control of the business for, for raising capital. But beyond that, if that business is not well capitalized, it's going to have a hard time surviving. So why do you think your role now is important to the future of the oil and gas industry? I think what's ideal about the role that I have right now is I really am able to focus on a lot of those entrepreneurial skills that I first brought into the business is when the company started, you know, you're doing a lot of different roles to get a, you spend a lot of time up front envisioning the company and coming up with a strategy in the market and how you're going to approach it and what your customers needs are and what their requirements are. And then once you get the business launched, you get into the business of running the business itself. And so it's been great with Infrastructure Networks as it's grown and it's scaled. The role I'm in now back into kind of a technology role and a strategy role, it gives me the ability to get a really spend a lot more time with the technology that I know is going to make a big difference in the marketplace. And also gives me time to listen to customers, understand what some of the use cases are, what some of the needs and challenges are. So for me, it's really been ideal to be able to focus on a strategic level on what's required and then to have professionals like Mark and Hector, who's heading up our sales and Brian Kefover that runs our operations. These guys are consummate professionals. They get up every day and they know exactly what has to be done to make a business succeed. And that that's really allows me as a co-founder and kind of a strategist to really look at that landscape and understand, hey, you know, how do we stay one or two moves ahead of, of what's going on in the market? So that that I really appreciate and enjoy. Awesome. What's your favorite podcast, Stan? <laughs> well, I'm not a big podcast listener, so I do watch a lot of YouTube and I do listen to podcast series from time to time on a personal level, mostly on history and so forth. Oh, yeah, those are great. But I think, you know, going forward, I don't have a lot of time to spend with podcasts, but I'm definitely going to listen to this one. And Mark LaCour, I think we did we did another podcast with him and I've listened to. So and, and what's interesting is I don't think I realized until I met Mark just, you know, how influential you guys are in the marketplace. And, I, you know, I've had multiple people come up to me after the fact and say, wow, I heard you on this podcast. And I heard you do this. And so some of it for me, it's been kind of that kind of eye opening that how many people are really listening to what you guys are producing out there, which I think is great. Yeah. Yeah. We try to do our best to bring news and, and stories, perf- you know, profoundness to this industry. So thank you for being a part of that. Oh, thank you. All right. So if people want to reach out to you and get to know more about infrastructure networks, how can they go about doing that? Well, our website is inetlte.com and they can reach out to that. And then we're going to hook you up with LinkedIn. (laughs) Okay. I'll put your LinkedIn profile so you don't get spammed. I'll just put it in the links for everybody. So it's just easier for them to click on it. And Oh, that'll be perfect. Yeah. All right. So that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Now here's events on deck. Hey everybody, it's Savannah from OGGN and here are the events on deck for October 2020. The first five events I'm gonna list off are all online. So to start off the month, we've got the Women Offshore Conference, which is an online interactive event on October 2nd and October 9th. 
Second, we've got SparkCon, which stars our very own Mark LaCour as keynote speaker, and that one starts on October 5th and goes through the 9th. Third, we have the OilCom conference and exposition from October 13th through the 15th. Fourth, we have the Ignite Talks with Cognite from October 27th through the 29th. And to close off the online events, we have the SPE Annual Technical Conference and Exhibition, or ATCE, on the same dates as the Ignite Talks, which is October 27th through the 29th. Next, these two events for October are in person. First, we have the Energy API Golf Tournament on October 12th at the Kingwood Country Club. And next, we have the Energy API 30th Annual Sporting Clays Tournament on October 30th at the American Shooting Center. Lastly, and most importantly, we have our OGGN live streams. This month, we have three going out, so make sure to tune into those. First, we have Maintaining Critical Infrastructure During Lockdown on October 1st. Next, we have Material Reductions in Downtime that flow to the bottom line on October 15th. And last, we have Strategic Opportunities to Right-Sizing GNA and Achieving Free Cash Flow on October 29th. Now, these dates for the live stream shouldn't be changing, but they may, so make sure to keep up to date on these events by checking out the OGG on Facebook, LinkedIn, or website for more info. That should be all for October, so I hope you guys have a great month, and thank you for tuning in. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Oil & Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.